Well, hello everyone, and thanks for taking the time to listen to what is the first of at least some episodes of the Forbidden Love Rugby Podcast. I'm Reese, and this is the Welsh Rugby Podcast, where two Cardiff fans, that's me and Ed, hello Ed, hello, join forces with Mikey, who's less than sympathetic to the blue and black cause. Hiya Mikey. How are you doing? We are bound, however, by a mutual love of the game at all levels, and a growing lack of faith in the Welsh Rugby Union. These two things have now coalesced to become yet another rugby podcast. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll introduce ourselves, take a look at this week's rugby news in brief, we'll recap the Welsh team's mid-season URC tour of South Africa, before part one of a four-part feature called Hivak Picked. We look forward to the Welsh team's first taste of European rugby this season, and we name our forbidden love of the week. So, with that out of the way, let's get started with the first edition of the Forbidden Love Rugby Podcast. Okay, well, uh, Ed, Mikey, first edition of the podcast, how are you both feeling about it? Woo! Uh, yeah, first, uh, can't believe it's actually happening, but very excited to get going. A little bit of nerves? Nervous excitement, but uh, Nervous excited in equal, equal measures that, uh, yeah, it's been a, a nice little build-up and um, excited to get stuck into it. Yeah, a little bit bef- like uh, one of your pre-match uh, speeches there. So, <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> so I thought it might be helpful for listeners to know a bit about ourselves, a bit about our rugby journeys. Uh, so, Mikey, uh, you're a Nelson boy to your core. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your playing history. Where do I begin? <laughs> Um, played for Nelson from uh, day one. Uh, started off with the Indian Juniors at about uh, seven or eight, and did, didn't miss a game, didn't miss a day, didn't miss a weekend, um, all the way through to uh, under 16s. Then uh, progressed with the youth. We took a, a sabbatical from Nelson and uh, played for Penalta in my second year of youth. Uh, there might be a, a resounding bonus there, but there we are. That's, uh, that's how he goes. And then uh, back to my youth, uh, back to Nelson Youth for the um, last year. Um, in my, my youth days, I did uh, win the Endeavour Award in my first year and uh, Most Improved Player of the Year in the in the last year, which is uh, not a bad little accolade. And then uh, on to the seniors. Yeah, progressing on into this uh, senior rugby. Um, fitted mostly between the uh, first and second team. Um, and I'm sure that uh, if the coaches were uh, bold enough, and I have to ask them if... Uh, why was I on the bench for the seconds? They tell me because there wasn't a thirds. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, uh, a good history with the second team. Um, Been uh, captain and vice captain in the second team, and they're a great bunch of boys. They remain a great bunch of boys to this day. Like and uh, a couple of blow my own trumpet awards. Uh, Been um, player of the year for the second team and uh, supporters club player of the year. And uh, the highlight of my career was uh, winning most improved player of the year for the first team. And uh, banging. And another little sort of a award as well, uh, two hundred caps for the club as well, which is wow. a nice little yeah. Uh, yeah. award as well. So uh, yeah, it's a little bit of pedigree, but uh, not, not a lot. More than I got. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you said yeah, yeah. I guess the highlight of your playing was captaining, winning the awards. Um, sounds like you didn't have a lot of time to watch a lot of rugby, but I also think it might surprise our listeners there with how much you've managed to watch as well. On the contrary, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Following Wales from day one as well, like uh, being our, our national sport aside from football, of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, just you know, Wales was always about. I watched my first game. I think when I was probably 
seven or eight maybe watching Wales versus Fiji in um, in the old Arms Park as he was sat behind the sticks and um, recorded the, the one of VCR of course recorded the game so I could watch it again when I got home just to make sure that I uh, made it onto the telly and um, I wore a little Nelson Rugby Club um, cap and I'm sure you can see the badge just the badge nothing else in the crowd somewhere but um, oh, excellent so um as well as the international circuit, you've you've also followed club rugby for a little while. Staunch supporter of Pontypridd, the RFC, absolute to the core. Um, started off going to watch my uncle in my uh, sort of early teens, and then uh, me and my dad got a season ticket down for Ponty, and um, yeah, it was real good days. But around the time where they won the uh, uh, Principality Cup in uh, two thousand and two. Uh, was there for that day as well. I was a was a was a great day for Pontypridd. Well, that's one of your standout rugby memories oh, as a spectator. I don't shrug for rugby when I'm sober much, but I was only about <laughs> sixteen at the time, so uh, yeah, it couldn't have been anything less than sober. Excellent. So uh, Ed, I guess same questions to you. I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about your playing history first. Uh, well, my rugby journey, playing rugby journey, actually started off on a bit of a interesting foot, where my dad took me to play for Landaff RFC. Uh, I guess juniors mini, so around six or seven too. Uh, didn't really know much about rugby before that. Um, had no idea what was going on. Been to a few training sessions. Went to a game on the weekend. My dad dropped me off. He had to shoot off somewhere, and um, I was just left on the sideline as a sub. And I had no idea what was happening. <laughs> I was just like, "Why am I stood here?" when there's a park behind me <laughs> I want to go and play in the park so I just I, should, I, I felt like that played rugby in yeah so I decided I just sort of walked off to the park and had my boots on there in mind and I was just in the park having the time of my life and then I was just about to go down the slide and someone ran over and went oh Ed it's half time you're going to be coming on in the second half and I, I still had no idea what was going on or what any of those words meant um, so I just sort of looked over my shoulder and went I quit. I'm not playing rugby. I'm just slid away down the slide. <laughs> um, uh, this girl was a bit stunned and walked off. I don't really remember what happened <laughs> for the rest of the day. Um, but my dad picked me up later on, and uh, well, from there I had a bit of a gap. Uh, after that, um, I went to Fairwater for the rest of the juniors and um, minis for a few years. Um, ended up having a bit of a gap from rugby went to play for Cardiff High School All Boys um, sort of around under 14s to under 16s on and off a few journeyman clubs like I had a couple of sessions and games for Clannishan as well um, I think uh, I think that was it actually um, no youth set up um, in Cardiff High School All Boys so I went back to Fairwater for youth which was some of the best rugby of my life. You know, really Fairwater was the it. roughest team I've ever played against. Yeah. <laughs> Fairwater or Red Valley. Yeah. Wasn't Fairwater the only team where you were referred to as a tough bastard? It was. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, a few years at youth for Fairwater. Um, decided at that point I wasn't really ready for senior rugby, so um, another gap. Ended up uh, off the back of you coming to play for Nelson seconds for, a, for about... A season um, ended up dislocating my kneecap in a game against uh, Bedlinog, little local derby, worst injury of my rugby career. So I had another gap from rugby and um, sort of fell out of love of playing it, but didn't fall out of love of watching it. And eventually uh, got fitter, um, 
got more confident and decided to join a look um well Wales's first uh IGR which is inclusive gay rugby club of um the Cardiff Lions and that's where I've been for the last sort of two two or three seasons covid willing yeah it sounds like you're loving it there it's uh it's amazing it's um it's everything you want a rugby club to be it's like amazing camaraderie the there's zero toxic masculinity involved there there's no sort of um big egos well there's you know a couple but <laughs> they're not uh you know it's it's mostly about the rugby and yeah. and and you know the other things that come with it then so did you have um i guess a similar history of, of watching the sport then or um yeah sort of on and off in my youth like um i say youth like kiddies devil didn't you know my dad was never like a super keen rugby fan going to matches but um would watch it on the telly with him growing up. Um, massive Cardiff RFC fan. Sorry, Mikey. Uh, and um, I kind of like sort of was dipped in and out of it. And then I guess my interest peaked uh, in um, the when we beat England in Wembley, the 32-31 game with the most amazing Scott Gibbs try of all time. And from there, I was just hooked, basically. And ever since. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I guess, similar for me in the sense that my rugby watching career started quite late. Um, so, I don't really remember watching rugby before the 2005 Grand Slam when I was 18. And, and that, that Wembley game, I remember I was actually rollerblading in my, uh, in my parents' <laughs> cul-de-sac. And my father was banging on the window going, Reese, Wales are about to beat England, Neil Jenkins is going to kick this. And I was going, who's Neil Jenkins? <laughs> of course, I've Roy didn't disown you. I, I, I've, I've since, uh, since come around. I mean, as, as for playing, uh, similarly late, I was 18. I bumped into Mikey in university. We were sharing a few modules. One sharing a few beers <laughs> more, more beers and modules more beers and modules um, and yeah I mean I probably turned out a dozen times for Nelson's uh, seconds on the wing I'm sure uh, the stats are available if you really want them stats are available um, <laughs> I, I, I know one for sure I scored zero tries in those games it's not uh, the score it's the ticket part of course it was it was <laughs> I got my hands on the ball a couple of times at least uh, so at this point I thought it'd be fun if the three of us just sort of gave our favourite rugby memories of the other two. So, um, Mikey, what are your favourite rugby memories of Ed and myself? Um, favourite rugby memories? Well, if we start with, with yourself, Reese, um absolute passion, un- unmatched, and no fear. Um, I think a lot of players w- would come in new to the game, would come in with a lot of trepidation, a bit of, am I doing it right? But, Reese, I really do think you threw, threw off everything you ever thought rugby could have been and took it on and made it, made it your own, honestly. And, uh, like, everyone makes the same strides when they start off in rugby and, like, you know, you've been, been no different to anyone else. And uh, I'm sure we'll see you in their representative colours, no doubt, if um, if you'd carried on that journey. <laughs> and uh, how about your memories of uh, Ed? Memories of Ed? Um Honestly, the softest of hands. Yep. Such a such a can agree. An, an impressive <laughs> skill set oh, for quintessentially a prop. <laughs> um, we're not supposed to be doing them kinds of things. We are um, supposed to have soft hands and soft <laughs> skills. We're supposed to pick up the ball and go at the next biggest player in front of us. <laughs> I, I should point out at this point that yeah, I am currently flanked by two props. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not myself a hooker. Uh, I I was a back three player. 
Uh, and Ed, how about your favourite sound of uh, myself and Mikey? Uh, so I'll start off with you, Reese. Um, it was actually a good opportunity to reminisce about our rugby journeys together. Like, obviously, we did have those few occasions of playing uh, together at Nelson and training together, which was good fun. But most of our memories are watching and um, thinking back on it, hands down, amongst others, for me, was watching Cardiff win the uh, Challenge Cup against Gloucester. Uh, The game being played in Bilbao, you and I were at the Arms Park when they put the big screen on. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, hell of a game, like what a game, but like that sort of small corner of the Arms Park that that we all packed out uh, to watch it come from 26 down um, to Anscombe, absolutely nailing that. After he'd missed one. Yeah, missed yeah. the conversion to bring it level. Yeah. Um, and then that nailing that uh, penalty kick at the end and then just like the pure jubilation we, we shared after and just like sort of bouncing up and down <laughs> in each other's arms was, um, was amazing. Uh, and to be honest, I, I could list off so many with us, like with, with watching, you know, we've got that sort of um, <laughs> many England games that we watch together. There's watching um, watching Wales play against England in a rugby pub in the centre of Madrid, <laughs> full of ex-Spanish internationals, <laughs> one of whom uh, we made good friends with through our singing. Yeah, and some of whom actually despised us through our singing <laughs> and how about uh, your favourite memories out of Mikey um, so obviously we've got limited memories um, some of them very hazy through our two pointers nights in walkabout oh yeah oh definitely <laughs> which were many to be honest in equal, um, in, in equal measures yeah many pints and many days <laughs> but I think uh, one of uh, my standout uh, rugby memories with Mikey is the old school um, headgear the bandage with oh. the black tape <laughs> I, I had not Good like shot. growing up in Cardiff you very rarely saw that playing rugby uh, and in, in most of my amateur rugby playing days I, I ever hardly saw it and then the first time seeing Mikey rock out with that I was just like yes <laughs> this, this is a guy who likes his old school rugby and knows what he's about and also wants to protect his ears <laughs> aerodynamics was was the, <laughs> was the key did you, uh, did you crack up the gloves at one point? Oh yeah, no. Like all the gloves, tape, shoulder pads. Shoulder pads. Yeah. So um, yeah, I guess for me then, um, my favourite memory of Mikey, I've got to take you back to maybe, oh, I want to say 2009, 2010. And it was one of my first games for Nelson. And I think Mikey was captain of the seconds. And he found himself at the base of the rack, loose head prop forward. And out of nowhere, he just does this box kick <laughs> and it was actually quite a successful box hit like I mean we were beating Pontiquin quite well at the time but he's never lived it down you can never. speak to literally anybody in Nelson now <laughs> and say do you remember do you know Mikey Harris and they go aye the box kick <laughs> um, and uh, yeah for Ed it's, it's actually another uh, Nelson rugby memory it was the first training session I brought you to and I thought Hey, you know, I've trained for Nelson six or seven times. I'm going to show him a thing or two. And you were stood there with a tackle bag. 
and I just ran as fast as I could in deer and literally just crumpled to the floor. <laughs> you didn't move a millimetre. Somebody behind me was shouting, stay on your feet, Reese. I was like, nope, <laughs> going down. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I guess uh, that's the introductions out of the way then. Um, with that, shall we move on to the news? Yeah, some time like the present. Sounds like a plan. All right. So, first up, we are talking, unfortunately, about um, missing players. I guess the good news is Spoonacozy has actually been located today, and I'm hearing that the Bulls CEO has gone to see him. Um, so I guess there's some relief there. On the other hand, though, Levi Davis remains uh, unfound. From what we've sort of been made aware of in, in certain media outlets, yeah, that's, that's the case. Um, so Certainly with Levi, um, you know, nobody really, and you could say the same for, for Incozi as well, um, nobody I don't think really knows what goes on behind closed doors and in this time of um, everyone's become more aware of each other's mental health, I'm not saying that's what it's what it, it, it's for or, or how this has come about, but surely there has been an element which has to be um, appreciated and respected with, with, yeah, with totally. both. Um, like I said, uh, it's great that um, Sabu and Cozy has been located and um, there's, there's chat around that, uh, like I said, the CEO of the, of the Bulls yeah. has, 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 has been the same and, and that sounds positive and tentative steps to start, like, yeah. that, um, all in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be saying the same thing about Levi sometime soon. Um, so we've also had the WIU's election of Yayan Evans, great player. Uh, Ed, what what do you think about his election? Uh, initially excited. I thought um, a few times I'd seen him in sort of a commentary or um, a punditry role. He seemed to know what he talks and talking about. Um, I, like you say, a great player. He's got the knowledge and the history behind him. But um, I haven't seen the whole interview he did recently, but I've seen snippets of it. And um, my excitement has now turned to uh, fear and dread. I think he's um, probably been given a... Not a script as such, but like with a lot of CEOs and a lot of um, people in that level of um, authority I say authority probably probably that's the, the wrong word um, there's so much that he can't say and so much that he's probably not allowed to say for the, on, on the basis that like he can't give too much away and there's, mm-hmm. there's no there's no right or wrong there's no yes and no answers that he can give because there's so much going on he's got to guard himself and he's got to guard guard the union as well by tr- not giving so much away yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. And I mean, there was a piece on Scrum 5 recently where um, some former players complained that the WIU is a faceless organisation, and that is totally valid criticism. I feel like all Ian Evans' role is is to be the face of a faceless organisation. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, does anybody else know the names of anybody else on the board? Exactly, and unfortunately, like he only represents the the voting majority. Like yep. there's, it's clearly a an organisation that's democratically run, and he's not always going to be able to give the good news. And I mean, one thing that I found oddly, um, I suppose, encouraging about his interview was at the end, Lauren Phillips asked, um, 
about the vote where the, it was put to the clubs should we have an independent chair because as Sam Warburton has said this is a 100 million pound turnover commercial business it's not what it used to be before the game went uh, pro yeah. and Ian did say in this interview that the WIU needs, needs to take a look at why the clubs who didn't vote for the change felt that way and I'm encouraged that maybe he does want to push things in that direction um, Ed, I mean, what, what, what do you think of how the WIU is run and where do you think it should be going in, in the 21st century? Um, it just feels like it's run by a bunch of people who are self-serving and don't seem to want to push the organisation towards the betterment of, of both amateur and professional. Yeah. Um, you know, anywhere where you need a 70... Uh, was it 70 or 75%? 75%. 75% majority for something to be passed is absolutely bananas. You know, it's like... <laughs> nothing will ever get passed in, in that case. And it's almost... You feel like it's designed that way because these people were so afraid of their positions becoming um, untenable yeah. that... They would. They've designed something that would prevent them from losing their position. And I guess, Mikey, when the WA was set up, the community game and the pro game weren't split because there was no pro game. But now the community game is still trying to run the pro game, and I guess that's just not moving the pro game forward. It's um, they're two separate entities. Um, the te- the game you watch on television isn't the game that we've played on a Saturday afternoon for Nelson Seconds. No. It's it's far and away different. Even even if you look at first team rugby, like through the leagues, you even go up to the championship, the premiership, okay, the the it's blurred ever so slightly there. They, obviously they they'll get the, the level of exposure um, and the scrutiny that the rest of the world seems to cast cast its eye over. But <laughs> from a, a, a personal perspective, I mean you look at the scrum. The scrum has changed an incredible amount over the last 22 years and that's just over this over our memories of sort of the scrum becoming a focal point of the game let's not forget the scrum is what makes rugby union rugby union there's no other sport in the world where you find that confrontation of eight players on eight players trying to shove each other about so they need to be separate there needs to be the element running the professional game and the element running the amateur game the amateur game can look after itself because it's done so forever yeah that's a good point. and I think since the inception of professionalism in the late 90s I think what was professional then isn't what professional is now yeah I, I think professionalism has just changed and I think rugby players today are better professionals than they were back then I mean you look at for example some of the, the players who've released autobiographies and look at some of them and, and they say oh well we train for an hour in the morning and, and that's us for the day Yeah. I mean like now you, you don't see that you look at some clubs and they sort of look at the other other, other podcasts that you listen to and now professional players have their days you listen to some of the, and, and look at uh, Bristol where Pat Lamb's got him in at six minute at uh, six o'clock in the morning for meetings Yeah. where like you know some players probably in the, the inception of professional rugby wouldn't even think about getting up at six o'clock in the morning for rugby matters. And I mean, if you think about it off the pitch, it's not just a matter of, well, it is a matter of performance on the pitch, but that needs to be funded because ultimately it's elite level sport, it's marginal gains, and that all requires money. Yeah. Unfortunately. 
And if you want the best elite players with the highest marginal gains, you need to pay their salaries. And the same with the, with the support staff and so on and so on. And so I feel like people who understand the business side of it are going to be best placed to make professional rugby successful. And people who understand community rugby are going to be best placed to make community rugby be good at what it does. And, and the, the community club looks after it itself. It's it's got its own revenue streams. It, it knows its gate. Actually, it knows its gate. It, it gets its gate. It gets its bar takings. Um, similarly, the principality gets its gate. It gets its bar takings. But it needs to be run. It, they 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 are on two different paths. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, they they they're two different games, and never and and there won't be any crossover. You can't see the same game on a Saturday afternoon on a on a picture that. As you will in the Principality Stadium on a Saturday afternoon, and that was five when yeah. Wales played the All Blacks. So that when that's addressed, when they can be run separately, then I think we'll see great greater changes than what we've seen in the last. Awesome. Okay, so um, I'm looking at my production notes here, and I've got WRU Shambolic still unreleased order and report, and is Pivac staying? Well, yesterday we got the answer to at least the second question there. Uh, Ed, is Pivak saying? Or, um, <laughs> no. no. Who, who do you think uh, might replace him there? Well, um, I've heard a rumour. I, I, know, I know a guy. Uh, and I've got a feeling it might be Warren Warren Gatland. Warren of Gatland. Gatland is back. Uh, so, yeah, what, what do you think about that? He had so much success with Wales in the past. Um, yeah, I think it's... It's the only appointment that made sense on a short-term basis to rejuvenate the excitement in the Welsh national team because it's been dour, um, this, especially these last 12 months. Um, I, everyone I know, everyone I've spoken to about it um, is uh, Warren excited and I just think there was no one else really in World Rugby, probably A, who would have taken the risk of of you know joining the Welsh team in the position it's in right now for potentially only you know a nine ten yep. month contract uh, and be coming into what you know could be quite a hostile environment with the Welsh fans. Sure. You know, you've got to turn around a sinking ship. So I mean, Mikey, do you see that Gatland could have success with Wales in the short term? Oh, I mean, success is relative. <laughs> I mean, definitely. I think his style of rugby suits the Northern Hemisphere. I think Wales has certainly been the beneficiary of. His coaching within the Northern Hemisphere since he had his coaching exploits with obviously with um, with Wasps uh, along with Sean Edwards there um, but coming through the ranks with, in, in Ireland as well with Ireland A I mean there's a lot of experience there, a lot of relevant experience I mean he, he didn't just turn up one day and say right I'm going to coach Wales there's a certain path he's taken to be able to get to that level and again and after coaching Wales he's gone up to coach the Lions multiple times and you know the best club side in the world the Barbars yeah so there's there's no um I mean, he's certainly on the right path. Yeah. If you use his path as, as an example, as, as an example, and the way forward for any coach, like I'd say, just say that's how it looks to be done. And I mean, it's, I, I've heard people say actually that if a coach is coming in to be a part of an international setup, um, they need to bring with them some cachet. Like the players need to look at the guy, know who he is, and sort of instantly respect we say you can lose the respect but that initial contact has to have respect and I think the problem with 
Pivak's appointment was A, when he was given his contract, he was at his most expensive, which is just daft. I mean, yeah. we, and something we were saying before we started was that contracts now seem to be given in um, World Cup cycles. So we said to Pivak in maybe 17, 2018, okay, we're going to pay for your services now when you're running riot with Scarlets for you to take over in 2019 when Gatlin's left. But of course, rugby changes all the time and like tactics change all the time. And yeah. you look how far ahead teams like Ireland and France are right now in the Six Nations. Mm. It's going to be a big job now for Gatland to catch up with the players who may have been playing rugby that's a few years old. Or... But, but Gatlin is, is a... He's a master at sort of bringing teams on quick. I mean, like yes. to take the Lions, for example, you know, the, the top of the tree in terms of coaching in in, the, in Britain. Um, you take a group of players and you bring them together over a short period of time. And take, for example, the the New Zealand tour where they effectively essentially drew the tour. But could I, you you got a question whether any other coach would have been able to bring out that performance in that group of players? And you, you pick in, oh yeah, you pick in professionals, professional players who apply their trade day to day, be it in the gym being on the training park or being out in front of the fans on the weekends. But to be able to, to bring all their elements together, make them fit, because some players want and some players will, and it's enhancing them connections to, 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 to make a game plan come together. Um, just going back to what you said about the, a course rings, a cachet, um, I think both in terms of players and supporters, and... There's, there's obviously two sides to the coin with bringing in bringing Gatland back. The one side is where I think you've got the players who've been around and for the last for, 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 for Gatland's initial twelve years and seen all the success, all the Grand Slams, all the championships. That and then not forgetting the Lions as well. There's that whole breadth of of, of, of winning and that Gatland brought to, to Wales and Britain. But then you've got them fans who are going to expect the same now with the current crop of players when some of them players are not at their peak anymore. Some of them players are not around anymore. So it's is, is Gatlin going to try and reignite that fire away? Uh, can, can they be the next Sam Oberlin? Can they be the next Danny, the next, mm-hmm. next Jamie Roberts? Are they within wheels of the grasp? Well, this is uh, something maybe, Ed, you can talk about. So in the run-up to the 2011 World Cup, you had the 2008 Grand Slam, yeah. which Gatlin sort of somehow walked I, I say it's <laughs> tactics because I mean uh, arguably a very similar bunch of players to Gareth Jenkins's crop and then Gatlin shows up wins a slam straight off the bat and I think part of that's got to be just being ahead of the curve tactically yeah 2009, 10 and 11 Six Nations were actually quite forgettable but then in the run up to the Rugby World Cup 2011 he did unearth some players and I guess do you think he might have a similar fortune going into this year so I mean, like you say, with 2008, he's pretty much come into exactly the same scenario where he joined late in um, 2007, I think it was, uh, and then um, uh, then won the Grand Slam within a few months the next year. And like you said, tactically ahead of the curve, 
Um, you know, albeit that one did have to be some magnificent, magnificent second half, magnificent second half against England at Twickenham. First time we'd won at Twickenham as well. And I think in twenty years it was set a marker. Um, oh, that yeah, should have been yeah. my favourite memory for yeah. Mike. Yeah, Mikey and I watched that one in a bar in Rotterdam. Oh, uh, Mikey was with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, with a bunch of our English uh, cohort. Oh, they were not happy. No, there are, there are bars. There are bars in our city that don't open until four in the morning, and uh, we found them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, so I guess uh, it's it's funny, isn't it? Because there's a dark cloud over Welsh rugby, mm. and it's not just the on the pitch stuff. No. And I think a lot of people said that this Gatlin appointment, yes, yeah, stick in plaster. We might see some short-term um, improvements on the pitch, but off the pitch, I think structurally there's still some change that needs to be done. It's important, I think, that we don't take our eyes off the ball. No, yeah, totally, it, yeah. it is top to bottom. Um, like, uh, I think it's, it's come to fruition during the last two years where Wales haven't performed. And the question's come up, why haven't Wales performed? There still is the echo of Gatlin's era with some of the players, but what was that? What underpins Wales? What underpins Wales is the professional structure within Wales, and what underpins the professional structure, it's the it's the Premiership that underpins the professional structure, and what underpins that, what underpins that is the club structure, going from your Championship right down to your Division Five, and or seven, and and whatever, and everything that comes in the middle, and if 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 the bottom can't support the top, the legs will always fall underneath it. Similarly with 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 the club gaming wheels. I think some clubs, and it's unfortunate that some clubs aren't able to put out teams. You can't call them first teams or second teams, just teams at the moment. And I think sometimes what's lost in, in days previous is there will always be a first team. You will always have a shop window. But what what's, what's behind the shop window, what's putting the things in the shop window, what's putting the things in the shop window is a, is a, is a prosperous club being able to, to put out players on a regular basis. And it hasn't always got to be the best you can you want for the best, but sometimes they're not available. They're injured. They're away. They've got other things going on, and and you, you've got to bring someone else to, to fill a gap for a week, a fortnight. But the, the point there is, there will always be that shop window. The shop window will always be on screen, no matter who it is or what it is. Like with with some of the selections, I that I can't underrate. Um, not can't sort of pivot. Um, you can't wonder where they came from sometimes. However, we'll talk a little bit about that in the next section. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, so um, I mean, you talk there about um, the sort of in the, in that community game, like you, your seconds end up in the first, and everything that goes on behind the scenes. And you've got your mini juniors, your youth, and I think really in the professional game, it goes back to something else you were saying, Mikey, about how you 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 don't have that sort of setup. And I mean, I think we need stronger and more professional academies. At the at the pro clubs, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about how pro rugby has changed now. And I mean, like an autobiography of, say, for example, a young Cardiff back rower is probably going to be quite a boring read now because there's not me as many. No, there's, there's not, and that's quite right. Like, and, and I th- I think that the standards need to be set quite early on. Maybe it's like with personal opinion, uh, and this doesn't. This, I, I probably this doesn't reflect everyone's opinions on 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 the podcast here <laughs> but um, I feel the pod, the, um, the academies can be too sterile like okay. um, you you look at like so Leo Williams and Wynne Jones who've come through the club structure I think they've probably got a little bit of experience playing against 
different players week in week out where they only come totally. against the same players in the professional setup. No, it makes a good point. I mean, like, and nobody would say that the academies are the best way to do things as they are. And you know, the more people you can get into them, that those sorts of problems get worked out, right? So, I mean, if you can have wider reaching, more involved, but with that focus on standards from quite an early age I mean it seems to me what they do in Ireland is, is, is so ingrained in, in schools rugby and yeah and South Africa as well yeah, yeah that everybody just seems to know what they're doing and it's, it's why like Leinster can be down to their fifth team and somebody just slots <laughs> yeah. in and is, is a class rugby player yeah. and knows the system and, and and the rest of Ireland have benefited from that structure from yeah. Leinster's yeah. structure and top, it, top, top to bottom and I mean it depends and I suppose you know does that suck the fun out of it and I guess the question then is what is rugby for is it for fun or is it for results or is it for both or I, mean, I think it depends on the individual exactly what, what, what does the individual want to get from that you're happy to play happy to watch happy to take yeah. on his career yeah okay Ed anything to add there or should we move on to the weekend um, I just think academies could do better with making sure they're still sending players out to be playing against hard bastards <laughs> yeah because that's it that's the difference if you're playing well I suppose and vice versa against academies then um, you know you're not going to come up against your sort of 40 year old prop forward who who you know like you use off as good as look at it yeah uh, you know and I, I think like you could win games on the head you know against other academies like look at Cardiff I mean I think for a few seasons their academy was storming ahead and does that does that help the team breed success and you look at people coming through into the professional teams now and I, I say no because it just doesn't seem to be that talent coming through that there was under under um, Gatland and I, I think it, it can work both ways I mean also I, I, a, a criticism I often hear is that uh, if you aren't in an academy, then you won't make it. So, mm. but I, I don't know if that is necessarily true. I mean, they'll they'll have scouts, but yeah, sure. I, I feel like if they were better funded, and that goes back to how much yeah. money the WRU can make, then they could be wider and they could throw the net wider. Yeah, it's um, it's how how far can they cast the net with regards exactly. to the cap limit as well? Exactly, exactly. And I mean, we're not going to solve this in a two-hour <laughs> podcast. We, so, yeah, if we move on, a quick word about the weekend, I guess. The uh, Welsh teams are on a mini mid-season tour of South Africa in the United Rugby Championship. Um, basically, everybody played everybody in, in some <laughs> shape or form. Yeah. Uh, only one win amongst the lot. Uh, Cardiff beat uh, Sharks 35-0. Quite um, a win. Quite a win. I, I mean, I will admit it was, a, it was a weakened Sharks team, but, you know, we weren't able to feel history won't remember that history won't remember that and we weren't able to feel some of our best players either and then crashing down to earth on Saturday evening um, <laughs> against the Bulls but I mean on that tour we lost Cabango Llewellyn and Lilo and we looked knackered we looked like a team yeah. just gone to altitude and just wanted to go home in the second half um, anybody got anything to add on how the other teams did because I'm totally one-eyed about this <laughs> so, I think with with the Blues it was like Pardon? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's, that's gonna happen on a regular occasion. You know what I, you know what I mean. <laughs> but I think m- maybe they they reach themselves to a sort of uh, a, a psychological level where, like you know, they go on all to compete against the South African side who who are strong, and they yeah. end up going up, going there and absolutely battering six bells out of them. 
and then you know can they reach that level again the it, following it's, it's the emotional peak we, yeah. we, saw, we saw of England in the yeah, exactly semi-final, semi-final. Yeah. and sometimes that it's, it's difficult to, to reach them particularly on the bounce it's difficult to reach them levels on, on a regular basis and then fair play to Cardiff for, for taking as far as when they could so see Mike you, you've got quite a f- exhaustive notes there on uh, who did what over the weekend so I don't know if you just want to tear through those yeah. real quick um, with I think with, with with the Dragons again not taking a win but not doing themselves any harm um, what, what a performance in that second half yeah no the, that comeback yeah. did look it was it was nice to watch and uh, you know, there's it's there it's there with the Dragons and it's been there forever the Dragons have always seemed to be in the, the poor relation when it comes to sort of performances and, and league placings but like I think with with the setup they've got there now with, with the players they've got available to them I think they certainly can make great strides towards the second half of the season and, and become even more competitive because they've become more competitive since 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 bringing in new coaches yeah very unlucky not to get a point uh, last week as well against the um, Lions um, yeah. yeah I think <laughs> it's it's, it's a, a cruel margin an eight point loss you know yeah. when you know you've just that one point away uh, I would I would rather a 30 point grub in than a, it's, it's horrible than yeah. an eight point loss um, but yeah to be honest like you Reese, I was blinkered by last week's yeah, <laughs> of the South African team which didn't didn't uh, we find out was the only the only time to have ever happened uh, to get nilled at home I think yeah, yeah, I, think, yeah. I, think, I think Natal when they were Natal Sharks wasn't it yeah, yeah. Uh, was that a Lions it was like nine. 1907, 1917 or something, yeah. Last, and it, it was like a long an, time it was like an England touring team, and rugby was even less like it is today than. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. it was. Um, so, how do we feel about South Africa in the URC? I, I'm starting to like it. Yes. I mean, I I would, or, you know, as a Cardiff fan, would prefer Anglo Welsh fixtures on a more regular basis, but I don't hate this, which is weird to say. Um, I, I gotta disagree. Apologies, gentlemen. No, oh, you. Um, <laughs> typical party fan going against the green. <laughs> um, it's it's a it's a difficult one because you know maybe it's, it is it is one I do not see in the bigger picture. Like with with the second teams come in, but like it it doesn't seem right. It, for example, this weekend, the, the last fortnight, Welsh regions have gone away and had one win out of eight. I mean, you, you listen to some of the coaches and they say, right, you, you, they've played a lot of youngsters, given a lot of boys' experience. But and, unless that does them justice coming back, I don't know, I, I'm not too sure. Is, is there an argument to be made that going to South Africa for the best part of three weeks with quite weakened squads? I mean, the Ospreys were totally weakened by Wales call up. Do you think there's actually an argument? Well, you know. Those boys have had some difficult rugby now under really testing circumstances, and it wasn't the horror show that it was last season. No, no. Might that help this well, one? Yeah, I think going back to my point about academies and playing hard bastards, like you're not going to play professionally harder players than South African club sides in their own backyard. And but they were in an ultimate window. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think. Initially, uh, along with you, Reese, I was sceptical about South African teams joining a European club competition, but um, I'm finding that, that when they're touring Europe or when te- you, um, uh, teams are going to South Africa to tour, that people are stepping up and teams are stepping up and games are becoming more exciting. Like, for instance, you look at some of the results between URC teams and South African teams um, 
this season and they've been all over the shop you know it's like and another thing that's done it for me is, is the South African teams getting involved in the European Premier Rugby Tournament it, they don't, it doesn't fit for me yeah but we're on the same time zone be, be that as it may <laughs> but, but I mean look they the, 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 what are, I can't remember which South African team it was but South African teams already hold the URC Championship and it's quite conceivable a South African team will win the European Championship apologies to be blinkered again but this was a European tournament for European clubs South Africa already had the Curry Cup they already had involvement in Super Rugby they already had the they part of the world to compete in, albeit all over the place with different time zones. New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, Argentina, Japan for a while. But I think it's it's an artifact really that um, the the teams that the, the countries that uh, support rugby union. We're quite lucky in Europe, right? Because Italy, France, Scotland, England, Wales, and Ireland are a two and a half hour flight away from each other, and. We, we and we think of the southern hemisphere as, as one thing, but like you know, the flight from Cape Town to Australia, and the other flight from Australia to New Zealand is still the, the three or four from, The fucking Gatwick to Cape Town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that the travel is going to be an issue, um, and I guess ultimately, what are we looking to do? And if it's to raise excitement and to raise the profile, I think it's worked. If it's to have a, a geographical functional unit then it's not working. No. And how many travelling fans travel both ways? No, it's interesting. I mean like the South African stadiums are usually huge. quite empty. And, and huge. Um, yeah. But I will say um, you do get a good contingent of away fans when the South African teams come to play in Cardiff Arms Park. The, they're expats. Which is, you know, but they are still travelling fans. And I mean, yeah, they might be based in Bristol or Cardiff or, or London, but that's a... You do uh, find them all coming together to sort of collectively support mm, South Africa rather yeah. than um, so much their their chosen club. And I suppose when you're from one part of the world living in another and you get the oh, opportunity yeah. to see yeah. your A home team, not your, necessarily your home team, A home team. I mean, I'm sure if... if, if um, if I was living in South Africa and I seen Cardiff <coughs> stuck in my throat there a bit <laughs> Cardiff turn up to play in Durban where I would have found myself residing I'm sure I'd pop along to see yeah. even yeah. if it was with a Ponty shirt on yeah <laughs> which is uh, the last time I saw the Alms Park indeed you were wearing um, <laughs> so I guess ahead of our uh, four part feature Pivak Pectory take a quick break there and yeah. uh, Cool. We'll be back in a moment. Okay, so now um, we thought that this part of the podcast, each week we could do a feature. Uh, and this is part one of a four-part feature we're calling Pivac Picked, where we go through all, what is it, 82? Uh, yeah, 82 yeah, is of Australia. Yeah. 82 players that Wayne Pivac got through in his three-year tenure. Now, just to put that into some perspective I've crunched the numbers and to make this fair you have to exclude the first 23 because you have to pick 23 players in your first game yeah. right so excluding Gatlin's first 23 and excluding Wayne Pivak's first 23 how many players a year do you think both coaches capped hmm. or used oh it's going to be 30 in and around that figure because no I think once Gatland had his established 
core group. He was very, very yeah. unlikely to go outside of that. <laughs> I think Gatland was probably around 20 to 25. I think Pivock's got to be 30 plus. So in terms of new players or, or first uses of a player per year. Oh, yeah. Gatland's uh, probably less than what I said. Though. Yeah, Gatland is 9.75 yeah. new players a year. Wow. And Pivak was 20. <laughs> and this, this is excluding that first game as well, where you have to... And it's like, when Pivak came in, it was, there was a big chat around look at, going out to get in players, looking play, look for players, and the policies had with capping all them players, I think has bred a bit of a problem. Oh, totally. Which I think maybe we can get into another no, no, I mean, episode. It's throughout this uh, four-part series, we are going to talk about some players that you have forgotten about, and we can't really figure out why they were in the Wales squad at any point. Uh, it's, like I said, it's probably going to oh, another, another day. I've just filled my drink. <laughs> but I think it's, it's like, it, it's created a problem for the individuals and their careers. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to rattle through the first 23 Wayne Pivak used, and uh, what we'll do then is each of us will, uh, well, we've, we've assigned ourselves players to talk about in that uh, 23. So, um, yeah, so his first game was against the Barbarians. Now, this was an uncapped game, but we're talking about players that Pivak used, and the number of times he used them. So, that team, the backs were Lee Halfpenny, Johnny McNichol. Owen Watkin, Hadley Parks, Josh Adams, and the halfbacks were Thomas Williams and Jared Evans. No, I'd forgotten Jared played for Wales. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the, the pack, uh, you had Wynne Jones, Ken Owens, and Dylan Lewis in the front row. Uh, Jake Ball and Adam Beard in the, in the second row. And a back row of Shingler at six, uh, Wainwright at eight, and Tipurik at seven. Interesting thing here, uh, Tipperick was actually captain it in the first and the last Wayne Pivak uh, game. And then on the bench you had Elliot D, Rob Evans, Leon Brown, Seb Davis, Ollie Griffiths, Gareth Davis, Sam Davis and Owen Lane. So we're going to do this in alphabetical order by surname. Uh, first up is Josh Adams with Ed. And Josh is one of one, two, three, four, five, six players who appeared in the first and last games of Wayne's tenure as coach. So, oh. Ed, Josh Adams. Well, Cardiff RFC legend, or Cardiff rugby, sorry, <laughs> legend Josh Adams. Um, age 27, wing, and should only ever be played as a wing. I think I agree, Mikey. I think he'd done a right fullback. Interesting. He did play there for what? Worcester. Mm. And the Lions. Did he? I forgot and about that. Wales most recently. No, no, I, I was, I was, I think I was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I guess he, he's fast enough and clever enough that he can spot mostly where kicks are going. Yeah, I, th- I think that's pr- probably the crux of it. Like, sort of, I mean, being a utility back three player, I think is becoming more yeah um, appealing, and players then become more selectable to be able to fill in in, in their spot. But I think, like you know. I, Different players play different games in certain positions. Like you yeah. know, you're either a kick in fullback mm. or you're a counter attacking fullback and I think Josh Adams is certainly more of the counter attack and get the ball in hands and up for the space. He's oddly, I found, a bit of a leader as well. So do you remember the Cardiff calamity against Toulouse last season, Ed, where all of our players were stranded. Calamity. Yeah, where all of our players were stranded. I don't think it was anything but a calamity. And um Josh Adams lined up at thirteen, I think. Scored the opening try for us. Let's try that game. But really seemed to like 
get the, the youngsters yeah. around him. And like well, he, he does seem like actually some he's, he's, he's definitely done. Yeah, he stepped up in that game and he was immense to be honest. And I definitely think he was the difference between uh a potential drug in and uh what that game was. Um yeah. I mean, of course, uh uh oh geez, the number nine Dupont. Yes. God, how could I forget that man? Just, just the best player on the face of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, was absolutely immense in that game and almost untouchable. I must say, as much as it grates me to say it, I think what Cardiff did at that point in, in, in rugby was absolutely superb. Oh, yeah, no, that was that, everybody loved us for two weeks, and that was back to the colloquialism that is Welsh rugby. All right, um, Mikey, I know you want to get your teeth into this one. Your first assignment was Jake Ball. Jake Ball, former Scarlets, uh, now with Green Rockets, Takatsu, sorry, Green Rockets, Takatsu. Uh, 50 caps for Wales um, moved back to Australia for family reasons and having read some interviews with uh, Jake Ball carried out, carried out by uh, bits and bobs of the media hasn't ruled out come back to Wales and his contract expires in 2023 ok uh, so how old is he did you say uh, I am going to age down but Jake. I don't think he's broken he's around maybe the 30s early 30s certainly looks it's like some life in the old dog yet yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I'd potentially Welcoming back for a swan song. What I liked about him was his aggression, yeah. and I think the Welsh pack has missed a bit of that. Yeah, the, he's a big brawler of a second row, and I think Alan Wynn and Jake Ball certainly made up a pretty decent pairing towards when, the end when of they were Jake fighting each other in training. But that always helps, I think. You know, <laughs> bit, of, bit, of a, bit of a dust up with your buddy, like. But um, yeah, I think when it comes to a second row pairing, you need one who's a bit sort of bit a bit. Bit wicked and and with with a scale set like a bit like Alan Wynn and one who was a bit of a bruiser and I like like Jake Ball I think mm. they they were a bit of a match pair I mean you look the best in my opinion the best second row pair there ever was with Backy's Baller and Victor Matfield one was a bit flashy one was a bit was a, was a was a tough old nugget and then you and you know which one was which maybe it's in Gatlin's uh, break clause that he's not going to continue unless Jake Ball comes back <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my first uh, assignment was Adam Beard and he's another one of the six who was in the first and last pair of that game. So currently 26 at the Ospreys, as we all know, he's a lock, uh, with 30 caps for Wales. I mean, I go through phases of Adam Beard where yeah. sometimes yeah. he's shit hot and other times I think, find him a bit underwhelming. Yeah. Hot yeah. and cold. And I mean, he had that 19-run game, didn't he, or something like that with Wales, where he was one of the players who was in that and pretty much all of the undefeated yeah. run. And Gatlin seemed to love him, right? Maybe his pivots are getting the best out of him, maybe he's a dip in form. I think it's because, you know, he's... If, well, you're recording a second row. Quinn essentially is someone who can get get up quite quick, get up quite easy, who's pretty lengthy, and who's a good target in the set, a good target in the lineout. But um, like I said, he's it, it, not quite there. He's he's incumbent because he's one of the very few available to Wales. Yeah, I think you might be right. I think that's spot on. I mean. Ed, next up you've got uh, one of the bench players. Is Leon Brown next on your list? Leon Brown, yeah. Yeah. Um, Did forget to mention that Josh Adams is on 44 caps. Oh, there we go. As we record. So Leon Brown's an all done. Like, I like Leon Brown. I haven't seen a lot of him lately. Um, injured, I think. Injured. Yeah. Long term injured. Unfortunately, like, um, quite an exciting prospect when he mm. came on the scene. I like Leon Brown. Um, he's only 26, uh, currently the Dragons, tight head prop, 
still still has 22 caps, which was a lot more than I thought. Um, he's, he's got all the attributes of yeah. a great prop. Totally. However, there's a bit of a caveat where he does a, has appeared to have struggled in a certain facet of the game where he's pretty critical of a front rower in the scrum. Um, that, for me, is the crux. What, what good is a prop of scrummage? Yeah, I mean, I think professional rugby, you know, that's your job, that's your position within the company, as it were, and you need to be the best at the best in that position. And I do agree that his scrummaging is a, a weaker part of his game, but that is something that with the right coaching Agreed. can can be improved on any professional prop. And I just think Leon Brown offers so much around the park. Yeah, that's um, what I think saves him. breakdown as well. Yeah. And do you, do you think time might be on his side? I mean, he's 26. Definitely, he, yeah. you know, his totally. best scrummaging days are probably ahead of him I'm, still. Well, absolutely. Think, I'm sure I've, I've heard many professionals say, um, coaches, that like I think props tend to hit their peak in, into their late 20s and... Uh, exactly, and you look at the the wonders sort of Adam Jones worked with Cal Sinclair. Mm. Yeah. Um, if the WRU are um, <laughs> well seen enough, yeah, yeah, could they maybe wangle Adam <clears throat> Jones into and in a in a advisory role at the minute? Like, now, wasn't there a little bit of needle between Adam Jones and Warren Gatland? Didn't uh, didn't Gatland? Oh, there was an autobiography apparently. Yeah, didn't, like didn't, that, Ga- yeah. didn't Gatland yeah. drop? Jones then Jones sent him a letter saying what what do you think <laughs> I, th- I think time in his essence would be a great healer hopefully <laughs> okay so moving on to the sixth in the list oh god we've got uh, <clears throat> we've got Sam Davis now Sam is an interesting one because I remember you know we live in Wales and we do have an obsession with fly halves and I remember a time where literally everyone couldn't wait for Sam Davis to break through and it never really happened for him so he's, he's 29 now he's playing at the Dragons eight Wales caps it, it it seems to me like he's one of those players who can be very very good at club level maybe do a job internationally if it's needed but will never break through to be one of those world class players yeah he's um, he's he's on because like I said everyone expected and it just didn't didn't produce whether that be through his own fault or not. Like um, maybe this the, the game didn't didn't suit him. Like the the style of way the style of play that was required of the coaches coaching team at the time. But play play a certain way and they they're successful, which I come on to in a bit. It was almost. I think you know he had great games the Ospreys, um, and I think he was almost like. Because it was it, for Wales at times to plug a plug a gap rather than be yeah. brought into yeah. it as as an attacking as, ten as, and as your primary number ten mm. as the ten who was going to lead the charge for the for the for an autumn uh, campaign. And does it go back to that thing where you know back when the regions were relatively successful, um, there was always an understudy and a, a master essentially. So number one and your number two. So you know we we saw a lot in Cardiff, and then I guess at the Ospreys at the time. Uh, Sam Davis would have been learning from Dan Bigger, right? Mm. Um, he hasn't two, really had that. But, but, but two different players. Yeah, yeah. Who, who run the game differently? Um, I mean, you, you could look at it in the same way where uh, Marcus Smith playing for Harlequins and Marcus Smith playing for England. Yeah, I, I see. They are two different players, and I think with Marcus Smith playing for Harlequins, a lot of pressure is taken off him by Danny Kay yes. and unsung hero in in Harlequins in terms of how. Uh, Marcus Smith has, has, has escalated into the 
not only the England squad, but the Lions squad as well. It's, but it's so baffling. I know this is a bit of a segue now, but it's so baffling. Like you've got the one of the best nine ten partnerships in in the Premiership, uh, and Danny Kerr is someone who I I a big fan of. Like his style of rugby is so good, and and to be and to continue playing as well as he has at the age he is in a professional sport is is nothing short of immense and. I, I just don't understand why you wouldn't bring that partnership into the international set. But anyway, that's a big segue that will get cut out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, next up then, back to Ed, you'll be pleased to know. Uh, you had Seb Davis. Oh, he was benched at this game uh, on the on the bench. Seb Davis, uh, one of your uh, 23... Um, Nautical team team. Um, we, team that'll be a feature for another day. Yeah, <laughs> um, only twenty six as well, which is you know again someone uh, who I'm a big fan of and I think has been misused in the whale setup. Uh, he's he's yeah. a lock uh, technically, but he's been put bought in at the back row. Um, yeah, Gatlin and, played him at six and a day, didn't he? Yeah, um, I think where are the countries trying to find their version of Maro Torje? Or Courtney Laws. Possibly. Yeah. You know, leading the charge and much in the same way as Peter Steph Toy, leading the way leading the charge for you know, you're interchangeable at four, five, six. But sometimes I think you've got to put a player where he plays his best and I think Sam Davis is a second row through and through. He's I, he's a second row can be an asset because he's got such nice hands. Yeah. He has deft hands and I, I think I'm sure I've read that um uh he played centre up until possibly the early years of senior rugby or yeah you know, he was the, in the backs yeah. yeah and I think you know that might be working against him whereas he's played, probably just traded centre and then gone to lock in the professional game but again a player with amazing hands and I think technical know-how of the game um, and like you say if you play him at lock because he's a big stocky lad you know you want him in- so I was going to say this he, he seems like he's got a big frame he probably hasn't packed on the muscle that maybe some international coaches would like but I feel like he looks like he could handle he's, you can see he's, he's got it there he seems mm. to have that stature about him to be mm. able to sort of yeah. you know, be, be that even if they do still look at him as a as a second row come back row cover yeah. I think Again, perseverance is is key with a player like that. You know, you give give him the game time and he'll come good. Yeah, I, yeah. I think still only twenty six. Okay, so uh, next up, another benched player, Elliot D, was a replacement hooker. Mikey, what are we saying about Elliot? Elliot D, currently with the Dragons, playing hooker with thirty seven caps to his name. Thirty seven. If you'd asked me to guess, I think that's exactly what I would have said. It seems like, like it seems like he was popular for a while. Yeah. And then, because we've been chopping and changing at hooker basically around Ken Owens for quite some time now. Yes. And it's I a deputy for Ken, like, isn't it really? And I feel like the sheriff. I feel like the deputy. <laughs> I feel like all of the deputies are about to be usurped by Derry Lake when he comes back. Yeah. Mm. Um, Bradley Roberts isn't doing a bad job. I mean, if you're looking for a, a type cast for a Ken replacement, I think Bradley Roberts has got a a bit of energy about it yeah. but in, in, in terms of Elliot D um, I think he's certainly on the radar he's got, got decent arrows experience and, and can get around the park a bit I mean yeah. that's what you want in a hooker if you can hit your jumpers and get around that's job done I think he's a decent ball carrier as well, personally. And I know this is a segue, but Gatlin is going to have fun with Derby Lake, I think. Oh, <laughs> he, he looks like, um, you know, almost eight of the throne, almost, like, didn't he? There's, um, do you remember watching Teenage Ninja Turtles and there was a guy on there made out of, like, I don't know, but he was like a stocky old 
like monster basically Derry Lake just reminds me of this guy like just <laughs> smashing holes and things like, yeah. he's, he's, he, he, like he does look he, he, and again he looks, looks to be one that sort of wants to take on that leadership so he'll front that yeah, way yeah. other players do you think he could uh, play Derry Lake at uh, Crashball Centre for Wales oh, it's just inevitable yeah it's like <laughs> dis- distributed to uh, George North <laughs> Uh, so next up, I've got uh, Jared Evans, a, a, another fly half, really, in the squad, who probably hasn't kicked on to where the Welsh uh, public would like to have seen him. So a 27 Cardiff player with, well, I've got here 32 caps, so I feel like that can't be right. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to do two inside leg, maybe, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm going to double check that. Um, but, but then he, he was there or thereabout for a time, like coming on and off, off the bench and did, did he have the occasional start, maybe? Like, But yeah, uh, again, uh, great things were asked much in the same vein as Sam Davis and hasn't reached that same heights again. Again, is he a casualty of the, of the way the game wanted to be played? I mean, you look at. The incumbent ten during Gatlin's era, uh, being Dan Bigger and kicking was a big part of it. Yeah, Jared's a running play, play close to the line, much in the same vein as Anscombe plays close to the line. Yeah, if that's a policy they want to they want to play, they need a ten who can do that. I do need to correct the record. There is six appearances. I, I don't know what was happening in my notes, but uh, <laughs> I must have got confused with somebody else. I mean, when I see Jared lining up for Cardiff, I'm happy. Yeah, like, I think he's he's does what we want him to do there really well, and his kicking games come on and. I think he's finally starting to gel with Dai Young's visions. I don't think it's going to happen for him with Wales. I think he's going to go down as a club legend. I yeah, think that's yeah. probably um, his ceiling. Was he yeah. 20, or is he 27? I think that's 27. Yeah, he'd have, I feel like he'd have done it by now. Yeah, he, uh, maybe not another World Cup. If he was going to make strides, it'd be this one. I think you're right. Um, okay, short and sweet for Jared. Uh, who's 10th on the list? We have got. Da-da-da-da. Ed, Rob Evans. Rob Evans. He, he came off the bench. Uh, yeah, what, what do we know about Rob? Well, Scarlet Legend. 30. Yes, isn't he? Now at Dragons, though. He's only 30. Yeah. Mm. Uh, loose head prop. Um, 39 caps. I'm surprised by that number. He had very, like, very seemed to be a very nailed on prop for Wales yeah. for a long period. That, that World Cup period, the last World Cup, he was. Yeah, I think he was. He looked like the most energetic prop I've seen in a long time. Love like balling, like word, balling yeah. hand, yeah. like getting around and, and making yardage, and you know, happy to step in at first receiver yeah. to be it distribute or be it carry. And I think that's the the framework that any young aspiring Luke said should should look at being. So yeah. do, do you reckon he can do it again? I mean, he's still only thirty. He's still only thirty. Case of his face didn't fit, maybe for Pimac. I, 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 I don't in, know because you know he's since left the Scarlets as well in th- in Pivac's tenure. So. Is there something going on there where he just wasn't getting the opportunities? Because I would have loved him to have come to Cardiff. I think injuries have played a part, played yeah. its part in, in, in not in, in Rob Evans not being as involved as he should be. And, and you know, there was a point where you know I think he was the the the, the, the best looks Wales had available to him. Hundred um, percent, back, yeah. backed up by Nicky Smith. Yeah. Cool. Uh, right. So that was ten, eleven. Oh, yours one. Ollie Griffiths, Mikey. Ooh, Ollie Griffiths. Uh, yeah, so it. another bench player. So we ten for the bench here. Ollie Griffiths, Dragons, flanker, back flanker eight, back row. Played about the place for the Dragons. One solitary cap. Just the one. One solitary cap. Plagued. And I made a note here. Plagued by injuries. Yeah. yeah. Now, quite a few of the Dragons back row have gone that way. I mean, you, you think like you got your Caddies, you got your Bashans, you got your your Griffiths. 
Yeah, I mean, Christ, man. Welsh, Welsh back rows. There's so many. <laughs> Ollie Griffiths. Oh, go on. No, go on, go on. Go on. Oh, I was just going to say, Ollie Griffiths' cap, I'm sure, came on the came off the back of him having an absolutely storming under 20s uh, Six Nations for Wales. Um, I remember watching a lot of the, those games. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, but he was un- immense, like next level compared to a lot of the other players in those teams. Uh, and again, someone who I was very excited about, very happy to have this cap when I saw his name on the team sheet. But yeah, the injuries have just been so. And they've come at critical times for him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, in play, playing well, looking to be part of the squad, bang, there goes another knee yeah. or, an, or, or another injury. But very unfortunate. I mean, if if you talk about sort of your 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 top five, I mean, Ollie Griffiths has got to be in there somewhere. Yeah. Um. So right onto the twelfth name on the list. I can't really remember this guy. I've, I've got fullback Lee Halfpenny. Who? Yeah. Couldn't tell. You. <laughs> <laughs> remind me. Remind yeah. me. Well, what was it to say? I mean, so uh, so he's thirty three, which means at the time he might have only been just thirty, which is yeah. weird to me because like. Since oh, I don't know, then two COVID years of sort of like you know incredible because like he's he's felt like a senior player for a long time yeah. though, but like he, he got capped so young. Exactly, he came in young. I remember watching his first game. We were in um, we were in Prince of Wales and it was that South Africa test where he, he kicked a few penalties uh, when he was back as a long range specialist. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, ninety six caps. He started as a wing, moved to fullback. I mean, what, what else can you say? Well, halfway he's got Lions caps. Yeah, I mean, guy's a legend. I mean, he's probably okay. Here's one then: Is is Lee Halfpenny going to make the Rugby World Cup under Gatland? You'd like to think oh. that Gatland could inspire that you know spirit of this twelve year tenure, mm-hmm. but is age playing against him? A thirty four year old fullback. Are there other fullbacks in Wales available? I mean, Liam, injuries allowing, is going to be back and hopefully raring to go. But then you've seen um, Josh Adams playing fullback, yeah. not shabby, and Lewis Rees Summit playing fullback, yeah. not yeah. shabby either. Just got a nail on how he's how they're going to play that game. But in terms of the half penny, if he can hit his stripes and sorry, hit his straps, and Gatlin's happy with that, then why not? I get yeah. I mean, I guess if. Gatland has to do a simple and quick job to undo what's been done. Then perhaps Halfpenny isn't a bad shout. Go with what you know. Yeah, one of the best players under a high ball. Um, one of the best long-range kickers in world rugby. Admittedly, percentages are going against him at the moment. But you know, if you need a safe pair of hands, someone who will tackle absolutely anything yeah. running at him as well. And I and I think that. Will, will weigh heavily in his favour along with the other boys were still there from yeah. Gatlin's yeah. likes yeah. of George North Tubrick yeah, yeah he hasn't got long to figure out who he doesn't want from that list anymore no I guess okay uh, 13th on the list starting uh, loose head prop we've got Wynn Jones another one I, I guess in the Rob Evans uh, mould yeah well 30 as well Scarlet's also um, loose head prop also um, similar number of caps too. Yeah, forty-five caps. So only the six, six more than Rob Evans. But um, I think someone that I think kind of um, sort of um, piggybacked uh, Rob Evans and then leapfrogged him into the position. And he was the scrummaging. It was Win is a, an immense scrummager. But I think again, like with seems to be the case with a lot of loose head props for Wales, amazing around the park, like. Personally, I you know I find him is a good tackler and a good rucker. Uh, 
he's one of the ones that came through the club route rather than the academy mm. so has that experience of being a nasty bastard getting, getting, getting on the record <laughs> yeah he strikes me as quite a no-nonsense uh, type of forward there but like it's, it's funny isn't it because I feel like for a time Wynn Jones backed up by Rob Evans felt like how it was going to be for a long time because yeah. it's a bit of a balance between props like you go one who's, a, who's an out and out scrummager and one who's an out and out sort of like bowler because I mean as, as we go through this feature over the next few weeks we're going to unearth a lot of loose head props <laughs> and yeah everything went a bit inconsistent after this um, okay so 14th on the list we're getting there oh that's an interesting one so uh, substitute utility back Owen Lane Mikey interesting one Owen Lane uh, Cardiff Rugby Club wing can't cover centre there's a question five caps underrated Owen Lane he's do you know what even as a Cardiff fan I forget he exists sometimes no because like I'll be talking to say my dad about who we might pick on the weekend and because he, he suffers with his injury so often yeah. he's not available unfortunately and so and I pick up we must have more wingers than this. And I was like, oh yeah, Owen Lane, like of course. Like, he, like I, you know, I love to watch him play. I think he's fantastic. Forget the Lane train. I know, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, 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 there's a part of my brain that just won't. And if you want to have a winger who is defensively sound, pacey and keen, I think that's he's and exactly big. that. Powerful. Because exactly. it's yeah. a common thing, isn't it? Like you, you, will, you will read any sort of Wales Online or Western Mail piece about a Wales performance and when it gets to the wingers, and I, I don't know if it's just become a meme, but it's defensively not great. Yeah, but I've, I've, nev- then, I've yeah. never heard anyone say that about Lane. No. I, I think there were a few questions previously uh, with his defence, but I think watching a few ga- the last few games he played for the Blues, I mean, he answered their questions wholeheartedly. Make, covering tackles, yeah. I can't remember who it was against, but I should, should remember watching Owen Lane with, with being the Blues or Cardiff, whichever they call themselves at the time. <laughs> uh, covering tackles then you, you can't question commitment and defence like that you know, it's, it's up there with, yeah. with, with the Alfpenny he strikes me that when he's in the mood oh, he's yeah. in the mood alright so um, starting tighter then 15th on the list Dylan Lewis more caps than I thought Dylan so he's still only 26 as well apparently is he wow that's yeah. which he's 10 years younger than us um, <laughs> I, I, I can't get around that like, yeah. uh, 41 caps now I understand I mean you know as a somebody who watches him a lot we do seem to give away a few scrum penalties but I will say I think actually in the autumn he came out with some credit in the bank for some of his performances um, well uh, yes I agree like I think his scrummaging has been topsy-turvy to be honest a uh, bit hot and cold but I I don't think I've watched a game where he hasn't won at least two turnover penalties for Wales and it, Cardiff, he is so good over the ball. It, it, is that why they selected him, though? Possibly. It, possibly. But are, you, are, they, are they trying to give away in the scrum while they make up in the round the park? The rugby union is a game yeah. where, the, where the scrum is the only... You know, like I said before, rugby, the, the scrum is, is intrinsic to, to rugby union. Again, though, I, and I'm going to double-check this, but if he is 26, is a pa- possible his best scrummaging days well, are still ahead of him. Again, yeah. much in the same vein as Leon Brown. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another tight end. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, while I check on Dylan Lewis's age, because I'm still not convinced. <laughs> so this is starch, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> this is one of. Oh, and by the way, Dylan was another one of the six who was captain that first and uh, last game. Wow. Um, Ed, you've got Johnny McNichol, who must know Pivak on a deeply personal level. <laughs> Um, Johnny McNichol, 32, um, Scarlet's wing fullback. Um, how, how many caps do you guys think? Oh, it, this surprise it's, it's not in double figures. Hang on, so Pivak was in charge for 30 odd games, and I reckon he picked McNichol for like half of them. I, I'm going to say 15 or 16. I'm going to go with 10. You're spot on, Michael. No way. Oh, yes. I thought it was more. <laughs> <laughs> Only ten, wow. um, and he seemed to be Pivac's boy. Yeah, I was I was very surprised by this. Um, I don't know um, how much injury uh, plagued his opportunities for Wales in, in Pivac's tenure, but um, he almost seemed like he was involved in every round of internationals at some point. Um, so for only to, to to get ten caps was very surprising to me. Um, it's, it's probably. There may be something to do with how that player reacts in that international camp environment. Yeah, I thought very good in the Barbarians game. If I recall, he scored a try, I think, or he was at least instrumental, maybe. Yeah, and I feel like he was so good that you sort of had to have another look at him. Yeah, and then I think since then it hasn't really gone that well. No, I I agree. Yeah, it's um all the will in the world may have been from from Pivac because he was part of you know he's uh, they they're from the same part of the world. Played in the same part of Wales. Um, yep. Maybe he looked at at, at uh, Johnny McNichol as being uh, safe hands at fullback, but I think just someone that would play pivot style. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, it just ha- yeah, it just hasn't worked for him at Wales. And at thirty-two, yeah, there's, I there's, don't know if he will be making no, the. I, f- I feel like there's probably more Gatlandy back three players yeah. coming through now. Yeah. And he, he likes to take a punt sometimes as a young back three player. I think. Okay, moving on. Mikey, would you like to do the honours of telling us about Mr. Ken Owens? What is it? What is there not to say about Ken Owens? <laughs> Another one of the six, by the way. Another one of the six. Um, Ken Owens, an out-and-out scarlet. I don't think he'll ever go anywhere else. He doesn't know to get asked. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did have a run out of Carmarthen the other day, but that was on, but that's, that's, that's in that same part of the world. That's uh, Turk territory. Hooker and 89 caps. Um, more affectionately known as the Sheriff. And I think he's been there... From the beginning of Gatlin's year, that's so this was he near 15 year international career. There, I thought he said he's nearly 50 years old, <laughs> he, he may well be. I, I guess probably still be playing for Wales at exactly. Yeah. I, I've got this brilliant memory of Ken. Um, it was after the 2019 slam, and I was listening to um, Ugo Monnier's BBC podcast, yes. And they ring up Ken Owens yeah. to run him. <laughs> and he is howling drunk in a taxi on the M4. Yeah. <laughs> on his way to Cardiff on like the From command. On the sec on like the second consecutive day of partying. And every now and then he just stops you to to go straight on drive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's 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 going down as he'll, he'll be in yeah. sort of greatest fifteens of, of course professionally right. Yeah. He's 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 still you know, he's coming off the back of a of a lengthy spell out with injuries. See, did alright. And he's looking looking slotted straight back in. Like yeah. did did you know. He's looking fresh, he's looking keen and he's looking full of energy. Mm. Which I, 
and I'm not sure if that's sustainable. <laughs> yeah. So, 18 from the list, I've got Hadley Parks. So, Hadley Parks, he's not coming back, he's, he's 35, he's currently playing his trade at the Black Rams in Japan. The, the, I've got it, so, going to this list, I've got him down as center wing or 10 with 29 caps, but presumably two of those positions came during his time in Japan where he might just be getting a game anyway. He stepped in a 10 with the Scarlet. He did actually, no, he didn't, oh, did he? didn't he show up on the bench once? And, and yeah, wasn't this through through COVID or something? Yeah, like, yes, something ringing a bell now. Yeah, no, I, I, he might well have stood in like the yellow card or something for Wales yeah, at some point. Yeah, def- I think he was putting from 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 club level. He was putting yeah. more defensively. That's right. To, to, yeah, to, to see games out. No, yeah, yeah in that um, URC run that uh, Scarlett went on, like, he would often finish games in the ten shirt. Yeah, um, I like I, I liked Harry. He struck me as. As a New Zealander, I find that when when Wales gets its hands on Kiwis, we, they seem to have this like innate rugby intelligence and calmness. Yeah. So like, hardly, you know, he might not have been the fastest. And well, you tell uh, <laughs> Jacob Stockdale that. Well, I know. <laughs> um, but he would quite often make the right decision so you'd be yeah. watching on the TV you can see the field better than the players can sometimes and you're thinking I hope this guy makes that pass and most often they don't but, but he, he was he, on the thick end of 30 mind by the time he got his he first was. he was um, but I you know, more memories of Hadley like it's I can't it's, think of a bad game he had for Wales that um, um, that touchdown against Ireland in the uh, 2019 uh, slam yeah. game was fantastic and that tackle on Stockdale where like, <laughs> yeah. everyone was like Stockdale was just Cantering up yeah. the wing, and everyone was like, "Oh dear, here we go!" And yeah. then out of nowhere, yeah. on the hypotenuse as well. Yeah. It was, it was absolutely oh, bizarre. Bit, bit, bit of a salty opinion coming. Oh, go on. Em. I do feel that he was a bit of a cap thief. Possibly. I mean, who else could we have put there at the I mean, time? Is, there was, you know, Owen Watkins was still making waves. Although Watkin would often come on towards the end of these games, wouldn't yeah. he? To I, I think there could have been, you know, given where Hadley Parks is now, um, humbly he came over you, not maybe essentially looking for caps. Yep. Happened to come across him. Was there a younger. But you can't blame Hadley Parks for that decision, though. <sighs> no, and he's not going to turn it down. If, if you're a professional rugby player and, uh, and you've got the opportunity to play international rugby through, you know. A, a system that is is nothing that you've designed yeah and taking advantage of the fact that international rugby is slowly becoming an international boys club I think the another, w- another episode for another day yeah <laughs> okay we'll move on yeah. from Harvey <laughs> onto the 19th player on the list one of uh, one of Pivak's favourites it's uh, Aaron Shingler who started on the blind side Ed yes uh, Twilight career potentially at 35 yeah, he's older than I thought, you know. Yeah. Um, Lock flanker, uh, twenty-seven caps injuries. Which, I think probably did a lot of that for him. Yeah, I yeah, think he was up for a long time ago. I think he was up for a good two-year spell, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I, I think my early idea, I'd say that's probably around the cabbage I was thinking before yeah. I um, looked in. No, am I mistaken, or did he go on the 2011 World Cup? And Martin Williams didn't. Was this around then? Eleven. Ooh. You're asking now. 20, 2011 would have been what? Eleven years ago. So you'd have been in his early to mid twenties. So 
quite conceivably. Yeah, we would. And you know, he covers two positions, and Gatland did like that in a World Cup squad. That's, that's what you need in the World Cup squad. You need and, players who can fill in. Uh, I mean, he's he's probably almost. I'd be surprised if he yeah. did it this season. But I, I've got just a vague memory of Martin Williams not going. And Shingler going. I'm not going to say instead of him, but that that's the kind of the way the coaches do. I mean, they did the same thing with Adam Jones. They just didn't didn't drop him from the squad. Just didn't select him. But um, mm. I think with with Aaron Shingler, solid enough. Just maybe lack the lack of some other players. Yeah. A little quick research so that he was uncapped going into the 2012 World Group Six Nations. Oh, fair enough. I must be so a... possibly so. Um, in the squad but unselected he was injury prone alright we'll uh, we'll come circle back to that some other time okay so um, oh Mikey Harris one of the six captain in this game and captain in Pivak's last game Justin Tiprick starting on the open side flank Justin Tiprick Ospreys open side flanker 88 caps the incumbent captain of Wales the man is a genius <laughs> like really genius the, the, the played second fiddle to Sam Oden for so long and sometimes second fiddle alongside him. <laughs> I loved when they played together. Oh, like, yeah. used to make my heart warm. Because <laughs> I think Warburton can flip that switch where he just went into turbo aggression mode and, and, had, and it let Tiprick do his thing. And he's had some absolute moments. I, mean, I can't remember the game it was against, but wasn't it from kickoff where he catched, caught the ball? England, England away. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. This is for the Ospreys. He didn't he sort of oh, kick a head and there. absolutely yeah. gassed everyone else for, for days. Like, because he doesn't look like a fast guy when he's running, but he does make up ground fast, and it looks yeah, like his legs yeah. are moving. <laughs> he's, he's more of that sort of like he's not a, he's not a gym rat. Look at Robert, and he was a gym rat. Well, of course, he was. He was shredded, and and, and Tubrick just turns up to training as if he's just sort of like, right, come on, let's go. <laughs> I think you know what I mean. Warburton, uh, being a gym rat suited his style of playing oh, yeah. because he was a breakdown genius and yeah. like and, and, and whereas you've got someone like Tipperick who is just an out and out rugby genius he's, he's uh, skills beyond skills there's, yes. there's often been Chatham playing 12 not necessarily captain material um, good question I yeah think. I think it goes down to what conversations we've had but in, in the past where the sort of captain armband can be um, you know a blessing or a curse and I think for some players it does tend to be a curse and I think with Tipperick he needs to be left to be a rugby yeah. player and a great rugby player that he is and I don't think he needs the additional responsibilities of being a captain he strikes me as somehow stealthy with his blue cap but when he's captain he can't be that stealthy player like so he'll just show up and play it's like oh my god Tipperick's just done some amazing <laughs> out of nowhere like, so the, the 2013 England game yeah. the 33 match Showed up twice to do the try scoring pass. Yeah, yeah. Like, and you, you know, you have to have the wide shot of the pitch to see where he came from and how he got involved that play. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to pick holes in this game. Like, you know, mm. it's up, you know, there's, there's, there's very, yeah. very few, if any at all. Like, both, both try, both try, um, passes. Uh, you know, he knew that he knew when to draw. He knew when to give. He knew when to do the draw. Like, time. it was a, it was a jiffy. Easily just of. It was a jiffy orgasm moment, wasn't it? It was like, take and give, and he does, he takes and he gives. <laughs> did, did, didn't he make Mike Brown look a bit sort of um, average? Oh, 100%. Yeah. But will it be a shame if um, he he's come to the end of his career? I feel like this trip might tarnish everything because this happened so late in his career and it was such a turning point of that game. And again, with, with his current. Being the current captain of Wales, I think, I think Pivak might have just 
jumped a bit with it because Tuba yeah. coming off the back of a, of a spell out with injuries. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, is he the is, most luscious locks of rugby? Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't like it. You don't like his hair? I don't like it. Oh, I, I think his hair is great. I, like, I was, it's not too I was shocked like. on the first time I saw yeah. it, but the way it just sort of comes flowing out of that scrum hat, yeah. I'm just like, yes, mate. All right, so um, we're going to move on to the second Aaron in the starting 15 for this game. It was Aaron Wainwright who started at number eight, which was a pet project of Pivax. It never seemed to work out. Oh, such a- a- apparently still only 25. Um, Dragons... I mean, everybody with a sensible approach to rugby sees him as a, a blindside flanker, but Pivak doesn't seem to. And tw- I'm, 29 caps. I've done out six. Too athletic, right? Yeah, too athletic. Um, you know, you look at how great he was in the 2019 World Cup. Uh, Nailed on in the six jersey. Yeah, and I think he's, you know, he's a, from a football background, so he's got that athleticism behind him. He's also got... A ha- well, had a hell of a turn of the pace, turn of pace on him. Yeah. Which you know, unfortunately, with this pivot project of making him a bulky eight, um, completely negated that pace he had, and also some of the athleticism. And I think you look at him now for the Dragons. He's not in Wales contention at the moment, sadly. But he was good in South Africa. He's trimmed down. What a turn up, like turn turn up for the Dragons week in week out. He's he's trimmed down, and he's sort of back to twenty nineteen. Yeah, and I mean, he came out of nowhere yeah. in 2019. He, yes, was, he yeah. wasn't a rugby player, no. like, yes. like three years madness. before that. And yeah. Like, we don't produce many naturally gifted elite-level athletes in Wales. And when one shows up on your doorstep playing out of his skin in a position, I, I just I don't get why. It's he's... poor player. Poor, poor player management, in my opinion. Yeah. Where, where, where was the identification at the younger age? Well, he, I don't think he even wanted to play rugby. Probably, <laughs> probably not. not. Um, I didn't kind of see the academy. For, for all we know, he, he may well have been out skateboarding. He was. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was a rollerblader. Let's uh, let's, get one, let's get one thing straight. Might be rollerblading then. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so we got two left to go. Ed, you've got Owen Watkin, who started at outside centre. Solid player. Yeah. So only twenty six. Um, Ospreys outside centre. Thirty six caps. He's been racking up quietly off the bench. Yeah, yeah. He's always sort of um, been that reliable. Um, it's what plug gap. It's when no one else is available, you pick Watkins. <laughs> I think he got a lot in him, a lot yeah. to offer. I think, they, but what I think is his main issue is he's got nailed down either twelve or thirteen, and he's only twenty six. He feels like he's been on forever. He yes, does, he does feel older than he is. Um, I'm still on the fence with him personally. Uh, I don't think. I've seen enough of him for Wales mm. to to warrant him continually getting picked. But I don't think he's had the opportunity that they've, they've been yeah. trying to fill that 12 jersey since, yeah. the, since Jamie Roberts yeah. with another he's Jamie Roberts hash ball. No. That 12. Because, yeah. I mean, the Gatlin tried to do the same thing with Scott Williams, who also isn't really a crash no. in 12. No. You, all the will in the world. He's he's got the attributes. He's, he's and like you know when he when he stripped Courtney Laws in that England game. Oh, I mean that's that's and that put his stock right a bit. It's, yeah. it's sort of sky high. But then you know one moment of genius doesn't make up for a, for, yeah. for a lifetime of not not hitting the strap. But okay. going back to Watkin, like can you remember him? I can't remember anything great December. Also, I can't remember any mistakes, howling mistakes on Watkin has made. I went and watched the Ospreys and the Scarlets a few years ago in um, in Liberty Stadium. And he wouldn't sign your programme. He wouldn't sign my programme. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I think Jonathan Davis was playing opposite uh, opposite him, and I can't remember whether he was in the twelve or thirteen jersey, but he did have Jonathan Davis in his pocket that day. Mm. Outplayed Jonathan Davis, and this was about the time where squads were being picked. So I don't know whether that sort of give give a bit of focus playing against you know one of the four British Lions from the previous tour. But you know it, it does kind of maybe spur you on in one sense and. You know, I think again, he's a player who needs to be nailed down. Like they didn't nail Scott Williams a place down. No, he was always no. flitting between twelve yeah. and thirteen, or the bench, or the, and from the bench to twelve or thirteen, yeah. and uh, it, pick pick one and become good at it and cover the other. And he's he's one of the this crop of Wales players where I think he was like one of Gatlin's steady hands. And I feel like it, there's a bunch, there's a few players in that bracket that I could walk past in the street and not really know who they are. I could yeah. be like, oh, that's a big boy. He must be a rugby player. I recognise him from somewhere. But I, I don't. I couldn't do a police description. You know. <laughs> nothing. Nothing like sort of outwardly remarkable. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Which I like. You know. Like. But, but, but I, I find him quite solid as a twelve. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, the twelve jersey is is a bit of an issue for me personally in Wales at the moment. Yeah. But fingers crossed that'll sort itself out. We want Gatlin coming in. And Mr. Hawkins, I think Gatlin's gonna have fun with him. Uh, right. To finish off this list, then we had the start in scrum half again. The final one of the six. Uh, Thomas Williams. Um, 27 Cardiff 32 caps um, I mean I love him for Cardiff I think sometimes he's well he's blown hot and cold for Wales some of the things he has done will go down in legend like stopping that penalty kick to touch where he just jumped into <laughs> yeah. the start of the but managed to land back in the pitch and, and, and that's maybe kind of a basketball background yeah people I feel like it's sort of almost Six Nations bingo now where Thomas Williams has played he does something so I see basketball eyes <laughs> uh, but I feel like he would have gotten a well I feel like he'd have come a bit better than he has by now like I, I don't see him sort of pushing for maybe Lions contention the next time around unless something mental happens I still think he's like Wales's first choice scrum half yeah. but I don't think he's as world class as we'd hoped he'd have been by now yeah he's almost sort of came rearing out of the blocks and on the cusp of something and kind of just remained on that cusp yeah which is a shame because again like I'm excited to see him on the team sheet for Cardiff um, I think club level he's that you know couple of percent above the rest you you watch them warm up and like you can just tell he's better throwing the ball better kicking the ball yeah a, a more gifted runner he's he is a better athlete than the other options but yeah he hasn't quite got to that he's, he's got that low center of gravity you can get about what a scrum half is what, what you want from a scrum half like in, yeah. Yeah. mike phillips never did himself any any harm by being in a, a six foot scrum half like but uh you know i think when you look at look at him he's a he's that Stocky, shorter, slim line kind of like you know, brought white to Terrier. Yeah, yeah, Terry is a good good analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little bit of uh, production meet in mid pod. Did we do Gareth Davis? I, think I was just going to say we've, we've we've missed Gareth Davis. Well, okay, he's meant to be fifth on the list. I, that was one of Mikey's assignments. So Mikey, we've mm-hmm. got Gareth Davis. Uh, Springboard from one set, scrum after another. Yeah, Thomas is understudy for the game, which which is bonkers, really. Like when you think about it, um, Gareth Davis. Scarlet's uh, scrum half 67 caps um, what a tussle he had with um, Reese Webb for the 9 jersey Reese Webb and there's <laughs> again he's, he's still about but like Gareth Davis you know plays his plays his best rugby with his head with his head up yeah um, looking look, sniping at everything and um, might have fallen off the boil not the 
first choice scrum half with the Scarlets and he'd be superseded by uh, Kieran Hardy and Dane Blacker. Blacker yeah. Um, and, and, and both of them are, are, are rapid and I mean, I think they've had a good teacher in Gareth Davis, of course, but oh, yeah. um, Gareth Davis, in, in prime Gareth Davis, um, unplayable in some, in some sense. I mean, that, that Australia game, the World Cup, he managed two interceptions. Vision. I feel like he slots in quite nicely to a, a simple Gatlin game plan where Gatlin gives him a job. It's like, you're fast. You want you you one of our best accelerating players. As soon as he passes, run at the ball and try and catch it. And, yeah. and he did. Um, I, I, and I don't know. Maybe Pivak doesn't like him. Maybe they knew each other from Scarlet. Maybe he was injuries. Maybe is, is it that Scarlet history that's that's making both parties complacent? Yeah. Okay. Um, have I missed any other players before we move on? That's a, a pretty solid appraisal. Excellent. Okay. So. Um, so that was the end of part one of four of Pivak Picked. We'll be revisiting this feature over the next uh, three weeks to chip away at all of the uh, 80-odd players, uh, which just leaves us to uh, have a talk about how we think the regions are going to get on in Europe over the next two weeks. So I know Cardiff, we've got a home game to Newcastle... Uh, sorry, a home game to Breve and an away game to Newcastle. Um, if you asked me two weeks ago... <laughs> <laughs> I said we'd have we'd have smashed uh, Newcastle at home, but now I'd be happy with a, a four 0 win. Uh, Newcastle away, sorry. Uh, yeah, we're, sorry, yes, we're brief at home. So uh, similar, although uh, there's that old stereotype that um, the French teams don't like the second tier European no. competition. They might not send their strongest team. So it's going to go one of two ways. Either we're going to have all our best players and we could come away with a 5-0 or it's going to be a scrappy fight and we somehow manage to lose it I feel like if we injuries come our way um, I I feel like we may get a scrappy 4-0 against Breve yeah. or 4-1 I think they'll get they'll be within a losers and bonus point okay. um, and then in Newcastle I feel like that game could open up and be quite high scoring. It's got the feeling of one of those games where you can't watch it because these games are really televised. You're not going to Newcastle and you check the score and it'll be like 54-32 or something. Yeah, it'll be a high score. I mean, Newcastle have... Uh, they're not, not novices to the to, to rugby and there's, there's a... Yeah. They, they've yeah. got some credibility there. Like, but um, so I mean, they're going to thrive in a home game, mind, aren't they? That's a drawing card. They've got a hell of a back row, a yeah. back line up there, so much pace. I mean, one is one to sort of keep your eye on. Yeah. Mm. Um, I feel like uh, I would be happy to take two points from that, losing and try bonus. Yeah, no, I actually that within the realms of possibility. Um, so, Mikey, uh, have you got any fixtures lined up there for us? Dragons are away to the Lions. Another weekend is without a Bloody hell, so they must have stayed on there. They must. They, 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 <laughs> yeah, uh, return to Lions, peace, right? Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe this last fortnight has been prep for the Dragons. Do you know what? They, they did it right last week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they they might have acclimated by now. I, I, you know, it dep depends on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time. I mean, are they going to get any of their internationals back? And are the Lions going to get any of their internationals back? I think we'll decide how that goes. I think. I, I'd like to think that would be the case where, like you know, you you put in your strongest team out for your first round of European games. You'd have thought so. 
I mean, it's it's one of those ones where I feel like any four of if any four of the if all four of the Welsh teams were in that tournament, I feel like they'd all fancy themselves to go quite far in it. Yeah, it's unfortunate that one of them had to be in the in the Champions Cup. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we could have an all Welsh semi final. Um, so and then after the Lions, uh, after the Lions, Dragons find themselves out in uh, hosting Pau. Ooh, another tasty good history. prospect. Funny, yeah. funny story. Um, I had a French colleague once, and I said, "Oh, you should come down the Arms Park on the weekend. Cardiff are playing Pau." And he went, "Who?" I said, "Pau." This guy's too long. Loves yeah. it. I said, "Pau." He went, "Oh, oh." <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's crossing cultures and terminologies. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, again, I, I, it's, I feel like it's always lazy to say on a on a rugby podcast, but. I don't think the French teams travel particularly well in the, these tournaments, especially the second tier tournament. They, they, they make it home, yeah. um, and that's that's where they they and they know where their bread is buttered. And um, uh, I don't think home teams like away teams going to them, yeah. even within France itself, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then taking the spoils. Uh, France is an enigma, really. Let's let's make no bones. But about I, I feel like rugby. at the very least. And well, no, no, I'm not going to say at the very least. I think realistically, Dragons can be aiming for a, a losing bonus point with the Lions, and they can be aiming for a, a convincing win. I think against Poe. I you'd like to think that you know, bringing 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 Poe into in into to the Dragons layer. Yeah, yeah. Rodney Prey, you know, it's, it's a, you listen to some teams and they say it's a difficult place to go, and I hope for the for the Dragons they 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 make it back to making it that place where teams find difficult to go. Definitely are doing that this season. I yeah. think so. I mean, now I know nothing of the fortunes of Leicester and Montpellier this season. Ospreys find themselves at home to Leicester and away in France in their second fixture. How do you think Ospreys are going to go? Um, I. I <laughs> All, all, all the women in the world would like me to see him turn over Leicester but I'm not too sure isn't there a bit of history there with earlier European tournaments mm. didn't Ospreys always find themselves up against Northampton or Leicester at some point I think Northampton they've got a few sure dust ups there I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 not 100% sure that's maybe worth going back and having a look at but um, is Leicester great history within European club rugby and um, you know the, the Ospreys it's nothing relatively new. Obviously, they've been around now for the best part of two decades. Yeah. But um, you know, it's, it's always unless they've had that history with, like you know, you go back way back when, and it's it's always nice to have that opportunity to play against them. Like, and I'm sure the Ospreys are absolutely raring for it. I, I feel like you'll see a spirit, spirited performance at home against Leicester. Um, but I, I don't think I can see Ospreys winning that. I can't see them. And a, away in Montpellier might yeah. be a struggle. Yeah, I mean, Montpellier be. Definitely be strong at home. Okay, Ed, have you got anything on Scarlets to finish up there? Well, they've got a nice break from their um, holiday in South Africa to come back to sunny West Wales. Lovely. For a home game against Bayon. Um, okay. Again, you know, it's the whole <laughs> cliche of will that French team take this cup seriously on an away fixture? Bayon currently seventh in the, in the, in the uh, French league. Mm, um, After twelve rounds, mm. middle of the road. Yeah, I'd like to think Scarlets can do, do them at home. To be honest, um, you know they not the best start of the season for Scarlets though. No, they they yeah, um, they are the new dragons. <laughs> I, I can't see the Scarlets. If unfortunately, you know, you want to see all Welsh teams do well in Europe. Yeah, I, I feel like they could win, but I don't think they will. Is where I am on it. 
And, and who do they have in the second round? Oh, they were second round then. They just got to pop pop back to South Africa to play the Cheetahs. Oh, my giddy aunt. There's, there's a bit of a logistical... <laughs> yeah, I mean, therein lies the problem with the URC and the, the travel involved. Okay, so if we wrap that up there, that just leaves us all to uh, bring to the table a forbidden love of the week. Uh, who wants to start? Um... Are we historical or are we sort of... Entirely up to you. So um, <laughs> when we get at least three followers of this podcast, um, I'm going to maybe open this up to the public to nominate, and it can be anything from an on-field bromance or something historical that you like and maybe you feel a bit dirty uh, within a rugby context, of course. <laughs> so uh, if, if you've got... Well, if nobody's got one lined up... I've, you know, I've got a few lined up. It's just this... Uh... So my one... Goal line dropouts. I like them. No. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I, I do because it, the risk of being held up over the line just adds another element to, to pick and goo. <laughs> and I, I, I did, and I mean, I, I present company noted, did sometimes feel like with repeated five metre scrums, a try would eventually become inevitable. Yeah. But, that, but but that's the that's the, the the way it should go. Like, do you know what I mean? You you you've got a stronger pack than the other one, and you utilise it to your best advantage. Well, I think if you're on the line and you're trying to drive over, if you don't have the ability to to get crash the ball over from that close, and the defence defending is harder than attacking. So I think if you are able as a defender to somehow contort your body to get in a position to prevent a ball being touched down then you deserve the benefit oh, of the decision but, but, but it's, it's with the defensive it's, it's, it's defensive thing and it's with the defensive team and rugby's an attacking sport <laughs> well that's why it's a forbidden love uh, right so who's going next uh, Mikey go on oh. right I don't know how this will sit with um, the rest of our demographic we're trying to appeal to win wheels but um, that uh, Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal uh, Johnny Wilkinson's drop goal in uh, 2003 um Forbidden love. You don't want to see him win it, but like, what a way to do it! I mean, um, you you gotta respect the kick, right? It's of course, it, that. absolute clutch. And you know the the bravery to do it. I mean, it's Johnny Wilkinson at the height of his game, so he yeah. knows it's going over. It, it was his thing, and but it was off his right foot. And he, which you gotta ask why? <laughs> Does he just show it off? <laughs> I know. I'm just gonna do this off the other foot. The one I've not been kicking all tournament so far. Most important you know, kick of my career. <laughs> but it, it wasn't just the kick. I think it was. If you respect the fact that you know England of that that period, but the only have they been so far until maybe France this year. We'll see how that goes. Please not Ireland. <laughs> or you know, Ireland number one in the world as it stands. Um, but the, I mean, the only team in the Northern Hemisphere to, to bring a World Cup to the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. No, I, I get why it makes you feel a bit dirty, but yeah, you got to respect that kick. And you know, right or wrongly, like it's, it's and it wasn't just that kick. It was uh, eight years of prep. Yeah. for Clyde Woodward yeah. to make sure that team was in the right place at the right time to do, to do the right thing well, there might have been a vacancy for Clive to come back as well but he's uh... <laughs> <laughs> out in the ring then why not uh, Ed how about you finish us finish us off forbidden hmm. love um, <laughs> funnily enough uh, something that I didn't enjoy at the time and it's also part of the 2003 World Cup was my cat single-handedly turning the game against us um, uh, in the group stages that's, that's one of my early rugby memories um, it was I was 16-ish and I went to watch her in the pub with my dad and my uncle yeah and same. T- t- a couple of my uncle's English 
distant relatives, which I suppose makes them my distant relatives, <laughs> were, uh, were over watching it with us. And yeah, it was my first experience of like rugby banter, and I didn't like it. <laughs> I um, hated it, and uh, you know, at the time I was like naive enough to think, oh, we might actually do, do England. Yeah, you know, this, they, they just can't handle us. And um, and yeah, now looking back, you just see like you know the substitution was made, and he came on, and he completely dominated the kicking game, and just absolutely turned it around. And probably, I hate the fact that I like it. It's probably a policy they employed, like you know they were they were very much a kicking orientated game plan at the time. So and if it works, it works. It's like with when Argentina, uh, the outside half, um, Juan Martin Fernandez Lobe, you know. It wasn't, was it? Juan yeah. Martin Hernandez. Yeah. Hernandez, you said that. Um, stuck the upper hand up all the time. And that worked for Argentina at the time, and that, yeah. that got them through yeah. World Cup to, to near the very end. And if, if a kicking game works and you've got the, the, the assets to, to, to do it, then you're going to do it. So, of all the forbidden loves we've heard, have any of the other forbidden loves become more forbidden to you than that kick yeah definitely yeah he's sticking with the kick <laughs> he's sticking with uh, my cat yeah yeah okay I'm sticking with mine so uh, there's no winner no clear winner there uh, stick around field decisions yeah <laughs> alright well that about wraps it up so I guess thanks for listening to the first episode of the Forbidden Love Rugby Podcast I've been Reese. Uh, and next week's been Mikey and Ed so uh, ta-ra Mikey ta-ra now ta-ra Ed ta-ra and you'll hear from us next week goodbye Bye.